All right, family. We are going to now end today with the Torah and start with the book of Bereshit in next week. But I want to recap real quickly to understand the last words of Rabinu Moshe, our great Rabbi Moshe. And it's interesting that as we finalize in today with the last two chapters, the Torah has a great message for us that is encoded in all the books put together. See, we miss it because of translation. Not that I'm saying translation is bad, per se, because we need translation, because we have 70 languages plus after the Tower of Babel. But the whole purpose is that the Father has designed His Word so that if you are hungry for His Word, you have no other choice but to return back to Israel. It's not that He expects you to learn Hebrew, but if you want more, you have to come back. And guess what? This is how the Mighty One of Israel has set everything up. So let's look at this. We started this year with the book of Bereshit, which is in the beginning, right? And, you know, Bereshit is translated as in the beginning. Okay, Genesis. In Hebrew, yeah, in English is Genesis. But really in Hebrew, the translation for that in more literal sense means something from the head or something from the stop in the, uh, in the top, in the beginning. Then we went into the book of Exodus. Literally in Hebrew, it is what? Shemot, which means names, essentially. Okay? And then after we finished the book of Shemot, we went into the book of Leviticus, which literally in Hebrew is Vaikra, which means, and he called out. Then after the book of Leviticus, we went into the book of Numbers, which is literally Badimar, and it literally is translated from English, means in the wilderness. And now we end it in the book of Devarim, which literally means the words, the speech, but even carries the connotation of teaching. So what happens when we put the five books together? What is the message of the Torah when you put all those books together? In the beginning, names were called out and are pointed into the wilderness to learn the word. This is beautiful. Because you see, God has called each and one of you to come out out of your little Egypt so that you can step out into the great wilderness so that you may learn his words. Why the wilderness? Because he wants 100% of your devoted attention. He wants you to remove all the distractions of life, okay? So that you may understand the words of the Creator. This is the purpose and the foundation of God's Word, is that He calls you out, He appoints you, so that you may learn His Torah. In a sense, the end of the book of Ecclesiastes says, this is the matter of all things. To fear God and to keep his commandments when it's all said and done folks we can save ourselves thousands of years of literature and this is the concluding matter fear God keep his commandments but it's a wordplay because if you don't keep his commandments you don't fear God it works together 
if you have fear for God, you will keep his commandments. Baruch Hashem. So this title of this parasha, it is Vezot HaBracha. And many of us really have a misunderstanding of the word blessing. Here's why I see it's so important to return back to Israel. Because when we think of blessing today, what is the thoughts that come to our mind? The prosperity gospel. Blessing, blessing, blessing. And the, and the word blessing, unfortunately, in our culture, in our lingo, in our understanding, is I get what I want, when I want it, and how much I want. It's kind of like a, um, a genie and men relationship you rub the lamp and you get it unfortunately but we need to understand the word the bracha we need to understand it through the jewish culture because your messiah was a jew and he was a rabbi and he taught like a rabbi not like a christian pastor no offense not that i'm saying there's anything wrong with that but he didn't teach from that context. He taught from a Jewish context. As Brother Rico Cortez says, the word of God was not written to you. But it is for you. But it wasn't written to you. It wasn't written in America, 21st century. It was written in Israel. It was written in a Semitic culture. And we need to understand that culture because you have been grafted in. We're going to see a little bit of that element today as well. So, bracha literally means to kneel. Okay? Now, when we think about this word, bracha, to kneel, we need to understand this, again, through Jewish thought. When you kneel in Jewish thought, it means you're submitting. So, the blessing, the word blessing, carries really the connotation, not so much of getting what you want, but it carries the connotation of you having the ability to submit. Getting this. Because you see, that is the blessing. Getting, having the ability to submit. And by the way, that is true strength. True strength means to surrender your will to God. So let's see this. Bracha, to kneel, to be strong, to separate and even develop, the word means. Because you see, when we submit, we are strong. When we submit, we are strengthened. And when we are strengthened, guess what? Now we can build. That's why the word carries the connotation of developing. You can develop anything if you have no strength. Because you're not able to pick up a brick. In more physical sense, right? So let's look at this. Deuteronomy 33.1 opens up by saying, However, because Rabbi Moshe share this. How many of us want to know what is the blessing? Opens up by saying, Vesot, Vesot Habracha. This is the blessing. Now, this Vesot really carries the connotation of something very particular. He's giving you an answer in general. What is the blessing? Because we're always praying, God bless me. God bless me. Please bless me. God is saying, I'm going to bless you, the socks out of you. But do you understand what you're praying for? See, a lot of times we proclaim what we don't understand. This is the issue. Now, I don't mean to scare you. Bracha is a very beautiful thing. Vezot ha-bracha. What is the blessing? We're going to see this very interesting. And that is, and Baal Haturin, opening up with the sages of Israel, they give us an insight of this. You know what's so amazing about the Hebrew? 
that not only is the Hebrew, you can see the picture in the type, so you can get a story, but there's a numerical value for the Hebrew also. You know that mark of the whole thing of the beast? Goes back to the gematria. So we even see elements of the gematria in the New Testament. So let's see. Baal Haturin says the gematria for this word, this is the blessing. When you put all those words together in Hebrew, it gives you the equivalence of 646 in the gematria. And that word in the gematria means Zodhai HaTorah. What does that mean? This is the Torah. So when it says Vezot HaBracha, this is the blessing, the value for that is this is the Torah. So what is the blessing? The Torah, folks. Look. This is the Torah, for he blesses them through the merit of the Torah. Could this be true? Absolutely. Read Revelation. Because on that day, he is going to bless you according to your deeds, it says. Wow. And in the Gematria here, Rabino Moshe is standing on his last day. He's going to die. And the first thing that he is going to bless them, Israel, is by saying, you need to have Torah, family. By the way, we're going to see elements of Yeshua in here because Moses is in the mountain. And now he is sharing in the mountain the blessings. We're going to see something very prophetic and how Yeshua fulfills some of this. And we'll see it here in a, in a minute. So the Baal says that this means the Torah. The Midrash says Moses used the word Vezot when he began his summation of the Torah before he died. Which symbolizes that Israel's way to achieve the blessing of his patriarchs and teacher is by studying and observing the Torah, folks. You want blessings in your life? Real blessings in your life? Follow Torah. But follow Torah with a pure heart. Don't follow Torah from a legalistic point of view. We're going to see the difference. Okay? Look, Matthew chapter 5, 2, 12. This is the, con the connection. Because in here, remember, a couple of parashahs before, it says that the children of Israel were to go to Mount Gerazim and Mount Ibal, and they were to proclaim the blessing. Now we see the Mashiach standing on the mountain in here. Which, by the way, they connected to Mount Gerazim, according to some of the Talmudic uh, uh, commentaries. So look what it says. And he opened his mouth. What was Yeshua doing? He's speaking. But he's doing something more than just speaking. You see, this is why, again, family, it's important to go back. I cannot stress this so much for your help in your interpretations of the New Testament. It says that he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Do you know what Yeshua was doing in here? He was giving in Baal Pei HaTorah. This is the oral law. Yeshua was giving them the interpretation of the written law. That's why I say he opened his mouth. Because the oral Torah is the Torah that comes out of your mouth. The interpretations of the written Torah. Okay? So what does he say? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for there is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This is all connecting with the blessing of the Torah. 
Because everything that Yeshua is, is talking about in here is the character traits of a circumcised heart that submits to the Torah of Hashem. And because they do that, they are blessed because they are mourning and they're being comforted. They're blessed because they are poor in spirit. Why? Because the wisdom of the Torah does not come in agreement with the wisdom of the world. And he is giving them strength through the oral word. He is teaching them, be strong, hazak yourself. Guess what? You are meek. You will inherit the earth. Don't be discouraged by what you see in the physical, essentially. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, he said, for they shall be satisfied. How many of you literally hunger for righteousness, folks? Let it be revealed in your life. Put Hashem first above all. Then you'll know. Test yourself. Am I really hungering for God's word? You don't have to prove anything to anybody except for you. You do need to prove it to yourself. It says that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be satisfied. Folks, I can tell you right now that there is no greater satisfaction than having the words of Hashem in your mind and in your heart. And having that comfort that God says, I got you, that I cannot teach you. I cannot teach you what it's like to have betach in Hebrew. Assurance. That's something that you can't teach. Betach is something that you experience. I wish I could teach it, but can't do it. You have to experience. Now I can teach you how to get to Betach. Then you can experience that yourself. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, it's going to make more sense because you will be satisfied. In other words, you don't need to have all these extra materialist things in order to fill your little void. You will have what you need, and that will be Dainu. That will be good enough. Because He fills your void. The Word of God is just amazing, family. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Oh, but I want you to understand, folks, that everything that Yeshua is talking about here connects with Vezot Habracha as Moses is standing in the mountain to explain to them the blessing. Because what is Yeshua doing? He's saying, Blessed are you. Bracha, the same word in Hebrew. And what is the, 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 the purpose of this? To let the people know the true blessings of the Torah. And what does that look like, by the way? Look, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Moses said, Vezot ha-bracha, Yeshua now it's explaining what is the blessing that Moses proclaimed in the mountain before he died. It's a parallel, both. Moses just said this is the blessing. Now Yeshua goes to the mountain and now he explains the blessing. Now he's going to take the Torah to a whole different level so that you may understand it. So blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Baruch Hashem. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Hashem says you are blessed if somebody's persecuted because you're keeping Torah. But today we scorn at that. 
We don't want to be persecuted. We don't even want to be looked down upon. But he said, guys, that is what the blessing is. They're going to come against you. They're going to ridicule you. They're not going to come in agreement with you because they don't belong to him. Understand that. Stop seeking their approval. Seek the approval of the mighty one. He says that you are blessed when you are being persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You want the kingdom of heaven? The kingdom of heaven in this world entails being persecuted. Understand that. But you know what's the real blessing? To be persecuted and yet have shalom. There it is. You persecuted and you are a strong tower. You ain't moving. Your words don't move me emotionally. Your insults mean nothing to me. I am in standing as a strong tower of shalom. That is the blessing. The blessing is the day that you stop worrying about what your neighbor thinks about you. By the way, that is the day that you will be free. Also. Blessed are you when others revile, revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you and falsely on my account. Do you understand that he's given here in the Sermon on the Mount, again, the Vezot HaBracha, the real blessing, the strength? He's, he's equipping the people with real strength so that they may be encouraged. So that when this does happen, they don't say, oops, it's time to run. They're ready for it. And they can see that they're blessed and they can be encouraged to God's blessing. Rejoice, he says, and be glad for your reward is great where? Stop looking for the treasures here. See, we're, we are a people There's accumulating treasures in heaven. Sounds very poetic. Guess what? Our Messiah was very poetic. But it's more than just poetry. It's reality and it's true. Because the blessing, the, the, the treasures that you put in here can be stolen. True? As a matter of fact, the more you have, the more somebody try to take it away from you. But who can take away your treasures in heaven? You see, to me, it's more important that if you go every Monday morning into the computer to check your bank account, ooh, it looks nice and fat, makes you all tingly and happy. To me, it's more happy. Happy is the man who on that day, the master would say, here, faithful and good servant. To hear those words from God himself, faithful and good servant, enter, enter into the promises that has been prepared to you by my father that's what everybody in this room should be striving for folks that should be our goal that should be our desire that should be our aim essentially and i think if we do this collectively we can strengthen one another collectively because that's what the body's supposed to be about amen so for so, he says, rejoice and be glad for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When you're being persecuted, you can now identify with Elijah. You can identify with Yeshiyahu, Isaiah. You can identify with Ezekiel. But above all, you can identify with Yeshua. You see what I mean? Rejoice on those things because it's a good thing. So as the people are preparing to enter the land, Deuteronomy 32.1, it says, This is the blessing that Moses, the man of God, it says, spoke over the people of Israel before his death. 
Now it's very interesting in the Hebrew text how this reads. Because it says that he was a man of God. And really in reality nothing there. I mean how many times we say man that's a man of God. What common saying today. But look in Hebrew. In Hebrew it says Vezot asher berach Moshe. But it says Ish ha Elohim. There's a problem with that text right there. Ish ha Elohim. Because Isha Elohim doesn't mean a man of God. If it was a man of God, it would say Ish Elohim. Not Ish ha Elohim. What is the difference? A big difference. Because Ish ha Elohim literally means the God who is man. <coughs> Meaning the man God. It has a definite article in it. Look what the sages of Israel said. I don't want you to take my word for it. Okay, look. In Matos Kehuna and Ace Yosef, he shares this very, very interesting thing. It says, the phrase Isha Elohim was meant, he says, to be understood exclusively according to its plain meaning. The man of God. It should have stated Ish Elohim, not Isha Elohim. The expression it Isha Elohim indicates that Moses had two characteristics. Ish man i.e. in some ways he was a mere mortal and ha elohim which implies central immortal qualities now i didn't have time this week to go into the zohar and the talmud which expounds even more and the ancient mishnah expounds even more in the time of the tani that the first century judaism taught it was taught that the messiah will be divine you should be all be shocked because what is the separating fact between Judaism and Christianity today? The divinity of Messiah. All bets are off now. That's really what's said because Judaism believes in a Messiah. It's not a Christian concept. It's a Jewish concept. So why do we, why we don't get along? Why, why Christianity and Judaism is in the opposite end? <clears throat> the separating factor is when you say Jesus, Yeshua, is divine. That's the, Larry knows this. That's the separating factor in Judaism. Not the fact that we believe in a Messiah. All Jews believe in a Messiah. But they don't all believe that the Messiah is divine. At least not modern day. But guess what? Even our ancient rabbis taught that the Messiah will come in the spirit of Moses. In the likeness of Moses. And the ancient sages were teaching that Moses had characteristics that were that of divine. But yet he was man. Should have not been that great of a surprise when Yeshua came. And it was considered also God, so to speak. Because this is something that was rooted in Judaism. Oh, Hashem. So in Deuteronomy 33, 2, 4 says, Adonai came from Sinai. From Seir, he dawned on his people, shone forth from Mount Param, and with him were myriads of holy ones, at his right hand a fiery law for them. He truly loves the people, it says. All his holy ones are in your hand. Sitting at your feet, they receive your instructions. We're going to see the fulfillment of this. See, we miss it when we read it in the text. But this right here, Sitting at your feet, they receive your instructions, became fulfilled in the Brihadasha. 
This is why we need the Torah, folks, so we can understand truly the character of our Messiah. But before we go into that, it says Moses, verse 4, has commanded to us a Torah or Torah, a heritage for the congregation of Jacob. Pause for a minute. Because it says that the Torah is a heritage, not an inheritance. There's a difference between a heritage and an inheritance. A heritage goes on from one generation to the other. An inheritance is passed on to the next generation and they spend it all. That's it. It's true. You think that all the wealth that you're leaving is going to pass on from one generation to another? You're crazy. Before, before you even start getting coal, it will be spent. That's just the way it is. And that's okay. It's an inheritance. It's, it's meant for you to dispose and use it. But a heritage, you carry on from one generation to the other. So it says that the Torah is actually a heritage, which means that it's still valid for today. Because it's passed on from one generation to another. Right? But here's the problem, though. It says that this heritage is for the congregation of Jacob. And I love how the Holy Spirit operates through his word because the holy spirit could have chosen uh, another word than the congregation of jacob the holy spirit could have said the people of jacob the congregation could have said bene israel the children of israel but the holy spirit chose in that verse to put in there the congregation of jacob why well before we get into that let's start with verse three it says that he truly loves the people's Look what the sages of Israel talks about this. Because in Hebrew it says, Af Chovev Amim, it says in Hebrew. Af Chovev Amim. There is a great message in there. A very powerful message on that verse right there that says, He truly loves the people. And we're going to see why. And it's all centered on this word right here. Af in Hebrew. Okay? How many, how many know what Af means in Hebrew? It's actually, af carries the, af is actually anger. It's actually when you're, when you're actually blowing smoke out of your nose. It's not a good thing, okay? It's like, like fire anger, okay? So why would they put in there, af chovev hamim? He truly loves the people. Let's see the, what our greatest, you see, this is things that we don't know. That's why we have to go back to the sages of Israel family. So we can gain insight and wisdom. And understanding his word properly. Look, the Baal Haturim says this. Look with this. The Gematria, again, the value of that word, of this phrase, is 253. Let me go back. So in Hebrew, this word, Af Chovev Ha'amim, which is, he truly loves the people. The numerical value for he truly loves the people, which is really amazing in Hebrew, it is actually equal to that of. Gerim in Hebrew. What is Gerim? It is talking about the Ger. It's talking about the converts. The Gerim is the ones who are not naturally born Israel, but have converted to the faith of Israel. They are considered as the Gerim in Hebrew. So look what it says. It means that that, that, that statement right there equals to the Gerim. For even the soul of those who would ultimately convert stood in Mount Sinai. Can that be true? 
Absolutely. Exodus chapter 12 says that a mixed multitude came out with them from Egypt. He's not a respect of men, folks. The girl has the same rights as the native born. The same rights. But we need to understand girl also. Look. So it says in here, um, our verse our verse used the word af. Why af? Like anger. Fire, essentially, like fire. Our verse uses the word af because it refers to those afflicted souls who suffer even further privation in order to commit themselves to the words of the Torah. Who are the girls that he so loves that it says in the Bible? The ones who are literally forsaking everything for the sake of Torah study, for the sake of his name. This is beautiful, folks. This ties into the whole beginning chapter when he says, Vezot This is the blessing. Look. Luke 10, 38, 39. How about he's sitting at his feet as the verse talks about in the, here in the Torah. We see the fulfillment in Luke chapter 10, 38. Look what it says. Now, as they went on their way, Yeshua entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teachings. This is exactly what in Deuteronomy is talking about. About sitting at the feet and listening to the teachings. Yeshua fulfilled this. Let me refresh your memory real quick. Let me go back. He truly loves the peoples. The ones who convert. The ones who love Torah. The ones who cross over. The ones who are not dingling back and forth and being lukewarm. The ones who are zealous for his word, folks. And it goes on to saying, all his holy ones are in your hand, sitting at your feet. They receive your instructions. And here in Luke, we see Yeshua uh, standing here, or rather sitting in the chair. And we see now Mary literally sitting at his feet. You know that this is very, very, very common for Jewish rabbis in the first century. The people will sit around the feet of the rabbi to learn from him. Very, very interesting. So look. Moving on in here. So it says in here, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teachings, folks. This is something that we need to be doing today. You can still sit at his feet, folks, when you go home and you study. You are at his feet. You know why? Because the earth is his footstool. You are on his feet whether you like it or not. Now all you have to do is study. No Hashem. Study, 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 study. Never stop studying Torah. This is the message, folks, over and over. Rabino Moshe is telling the people, study, study, study. Don't stop studying. And by the way, don't intermix, most importantly. Look. Moving on in here. So he this says in here, as they enter the land, Joshua, we see now the, the account in the book of Joshua, chapter 1. It says, be strong, be bold, for you will cause this people to inherit the land. I swore to their fathers, I will give them. Only be strong and be very bold in taking care to follow all the Torah which Moses, my servant, ordered you to follow. Do not turn from it either to the right or to the left. Then you will succeed in wherever you go, folks. Do you understand that God has given you victory? If all you have to do is follow the plan. That's it. It's that simple, but it's really not that simple. Because you see, the problem is that now we have loved ones. 
we have uh, unfortunately soul ties with friends with families and guess where the enemy works through see the enemy uses your emotions to get to you see he's very smart remember he was a Nahash in, in Medicine chapter 3 he was the serpent who was more cunning than any beast in the field says and he's not going to fight you toe-to-toe -to -toe. he's just going to use your emotions he's not a liar by the way he's a master deceiver that's worse than a liar in my opinion because there's a mixture of truth in it so it entices you to come but before you know it you're being bitten that's the problem with the venom so how do we avoid the venom of the poison well we need to understand his word we need to understand what Abino Marjeno is telling us in his word to avoid because you see the father has not given us he has not given us lack of instructions we just choosing not to hear it at times it's there we just have to have the chuzpah the strength to tell our loved ones our friends or whoever no this is this is where I draw the line I love you we can hang out but on this day don't call me and if you do call me you can call me but let's talk about the Lord and let it be Torah founded Wow sounds so easy Richard but so hard to do because we're afraid we're afraid of men this is why Abino Machino is trying to train us don't be afraid of those who can destroy the flesh but be afraid of those who can destroy the flesh and the spirit and the soul if you cannot stand right now for your faith if you cannot do that with your family and your loved ones today folks how will you ever survive in a period where there will be persecution honestly how will you and it's a question that you should be asking how would i survive i cannot even say no to this person without feeling the oppression so he says that don't don't turn from it yes keep this book of the torah on your lips he says meditate on it day and night do you know folks God has commanded us God has commanded that you know if you don't if you don't work you don't eat right well we need to work we get that but even in work folks he's saying you could be meditating on the word even while you're stocking up boxes even if you're turning a wrench even if you're framing even if you're in the office turning the computer no matter what is it that you do you could be meditating in some of the words of the Torah all day long okay so look what it says in here yes keep this book of the Torah in your lips many times a day and night so that you will take care of to act according to everything written in it then your undertaking will prosper and you will succeed Psalm 34 11 says come your children listen to me let me teach you the fear of Yorhe the heritage the heritage was for who we just talked about that in a minute for who the congregation of Jacob now here's the problem here's the problem many in the body today believe that they're not part of that believe it or not in the Messianic movement I can understand the churches but in the Messianic movement many today still believe that that's for them and we are over here in this side of the fence the Jews are over here in this side of the fence and since we're on this side of the fence let me walk back we're gonna do our own Torah we're here to cause these guys over here to be jealous of us 
There's a problem with that. Because we cannot discern between left and right. And we're not causing them to be jealous. We're driving them to anger. No bueno. Because that's not what God commanded. God said that you ought to drive them to zeal. Zeal. Not jealousy. Zeal. When you start interpreting the Torah to your own understanding, folks, trust me, you're not driving any, you're not driving Judah into zeal. You're driving them into anger. And the reality is, you are accountable for that. Because Hashem is doing something great in the last days and unifying the body. And through our pride, because that's all it is at the end of the day, it's pride. I don't want to submit to what they're doing because they're local. And I feel like I got more revelation. That's a problem, folks. And we're going to see why. First and foremost, it says that this was heritage was given to the congregation of Jacob. It doesn't say that it was given to the congregation of the Gentiles. Right? We can all agree. It's okay. Because it says it. It doesn't say Gentiles. It says Jacob. I.e. Israel. Okay? So if we take this literally the way it's saying it right now, in our own understanding, we're not part of that, there's a bigger problem then. That means that you're not marching into the New Jerusalem. Because in the New Jerusalem, it says that the 12 tribes will be marching in. That is the congregation of Jacob. There's no 13th gate for the Gentiles. So can I ask you a question? If you don't identify with this congregation, where are you going to be? <laughs> where are you going to be? Is there a hidden paradise that the Bible talks about? Is there like another dimension for Gentiles? Is there like a paradise just for Gentiles? Where are the Gentiles? Where are they going to be? Let's see this, folks. The congregation of Jacob. It is the Hebrew word kahal. Now, it's funny that the Holy Spirit chose this word kahal. The congregation of Jacob so that there is no confusion so that people with a stubborn heart cannot conclude and say that is not for me. Because the kahal is also translated as assembly from the Greek word ecclesia, which is iglesia, which is church, which in the first century was your synagogue. So are you part of a congregation right now? Whatever congregation you're part of, folks, it has to be identified with Jacob. But here's the problem, or rather, here's an insight. You mean to tell me that in a congregation, everybody is the same bloodline? That there's not a mixture of people from different walks and different ethnicity? No, 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 no. A congregation, by definition, is a mixture of different ethnicity and different cultures. You understand me? So this is not talking about a bloodline, but rather this is talking about the fate of a people. You know, all of us in here come from a different background. All of us have a different ethnicity, right? But we all have one thing in common. We serve the God of Israel and we believe in his Torah. Our faith is one and the same. That makes us what? One with him. So look. Hashem's assembly is named Israel, folks. 
That's why I always tell people. People love to brag about their background in a, you know, in the church. Oh, I'm Pentecostal. I'm this. I'm that. Folks, there's only one name for one church in the Bible, and that is Israel. Whether you like it or not, because the last time I checked in the Book of Revelation, it doesn't said that the Assembly of God is going to come in through this gate, the Pentecostal to this other gate, the Catholics to this gate, the Baptists to this gate. No, 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 no. There's only one gate, and that is Israel, folks. And Israel is also known as the Kehilah. That is his congregation. And you have been bracha, bezot ha-bracha. This is the blessing that you are part of this congregation. You are part of the congregation that we can actually read in the Bible. You know, if you got to tell your little ones, we belong to a congregation called Israel. How awesome that you can actually take them to the Bible and they can see it. And look, son, look, son, right here. Here it is. Our congregation is entering into the New Jerusalem. This is the purpose, folks. That we may understand and see. Israel is the only assembly that we witness entering into the New Jerusalem. If you are a believer in Messiah Yeshua, then you have been grafted into the assembly of Israel, folks. Guess what? Quit, quit, and quit your identity crisis already. The only reason why we have an identity crisis is because we're afraid of what men is going to think of us. That's really what it boils down to. I'm afraid to identify with Israel because I'm either going to get mocked or I'm going to be rejected. That's really what it is at the end of the day. Stop your identity crisis already. Be bracha. Be blessed that you are part of a heritage, folks. That you can track back down to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Be a part of root. Be a part of Rahab. Be a part of the lineage of Yeshua. Come into the faith of Israel, folks. Stand your ground. Be proud of your heritage, folks. If there's a heritage that I can tell you you can be proud of, it is the Torah, folks. Because that will never come back void. So if you've been grafted into the assembly of Israel, which means that the Torah now is your heritage, too. Remember that in the same verse that he uses this heritage, he said he loves the people, and Hazal talks about the converts? It's, you are included in this. Even the ancient sages of Israel taught this. Look, Isaiah 56, 6-7 says, Also the sons of the foreigner, who what? Join themselves to Jehovah. Do you know that that Hebrew word there for join? It's the same word that is used in Romans chapter 11 when it says you've been grafted in. How many of you actually knew that? It's the same word. We can honestly say that Isaiah 56 says also the sons of the foreigner who have been grafted themselves to, his, to Hashem. You have joined yourself to the Lord God of Israel. Look what it says. To serve Him. To love the name of Hashem. By the way, here we go again, idioms. It's not saying that you like the letter yod heh vav -He. It's not about the name. It's about loving the character of our God. You love the Torah. You love righteousness. You love the mishpatims. You love the chukims. But most importantly, the name of Hashem, it says that it's upon Jacob, his people. You love his people. You can't say, I love the name of Hashem, but I can't stand the Jewish people. Then you don't love his name. 
Because his name is upon them. And now it's upon you. Baruch Hashem. So it says to love the name of Hashem, to be his servants, all who guard the Sabbath. It starts with that, folks. All who guard the Sabbath. If you love him, if you are his servant, then you will be guarding the, sab the Sabbath. What is the Hebrew word there for guarding the Sabbath? Shemar. And literally that means that you are putting a hedge around the Sabbath. You know what a hedge means? A hedge is to separate the profane and the, and the, and the holy. So your little friends who are not on board with you on that day, you need to put them out of the fence. Baruch Hashem. You're guarding that day. You are protecting. You know, if you don't believe me, just read the book of Nehemiah. The gates were closed on the Sabbath and there was vendors out there waiting for the Sabbath to end. And Nehemiah said, if you don't move out of here right now, I'm going to lay hands on you. And it wasn't to pray. Okay? I mean, serious. They were just standing there waiting for the sun to go down so that they can commence business. He's like, get out of here right now. That's the kind of shamar that we're talking about. The zeal for the Lord. I'm not going to allow anything. I'm not going to. You know, how is it that the serpent made it to Adam and Eve? You realize that Adam was supposed to shamar the Garden of Eden. How did the serpent get in there? Because he was not guarding. Don't make the same mistake. Protect. Guard the Sabbath. Guard the things that God has entrusted you in his word. Guard his Torah, folks. Don't let the serpent come in. Because once he is in, now you're battling the serpent. It says, all who guard the Sabbath and not profane it and hope it is more than the Sabbath. It's more than the Sabbath, folks. You see, everybody in here has this understanding, I believe, not all of them, but some, that if somebody's keeping the Sabbath, then they got to be good. Isaiah 56 says, it's more than just guarding the Sabbath. It's hold fast to my covenant. Ha. It's all of it, folks. Not just the Sabbath. It starts with the Sabbath, but he says all of it. Them, and them, meaning the people, the who? The sons of the foreigner. Do you consider yourself as sons of the foreigner? We can honestly say that. If you're not born in Israel, you don't have a, a approved a Jewish lineage, more than likely, you are the son of the foreigner. But it's okay, because he says, now I have grafted you in. You're no longer a son of the foreigner. You are now my child. You are now my people. You now, the heritage of Jacob is transferred to you. And he says, them I will bring to my holy mountain and let them rejoice in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their slaughter offerings are accepted on my altar. For my house is called a house of prayer for all the peoples. That's why notice in there it says all the peoples. Guess what that word for peoples is? The same thing. The same thing as we just read in Deuteronomy. He loves the people. He's talking about the Gerim. The ones who are converted. The ones who have accepted his covenant. The ones who have taken up the yoke of the kingdom of heaven. Ba'uch Hashem. Deuteronomy 32.2 says, Adonai came from Sinai, from Seir. He dawned on his people, shone forth from Mount, uh, Mount Param. And with him were admirers of holy ones. At his right hand was a fiery law. It says. What is this fiery law? 
Look, it is the Hebrew word ishdat. And it's interesting because it is a two word combined in one. Ishdat. Now listen, the word for ish, ish, I'm sorry, it is fire. Something like a flaming hot. That's why it says fiery law. And it's interesting that in the, in the ancient uh, Paleo-Hebrew in here, we see the, the teeth and the bull as ish, which means to press something together. That's how you create a fire. Then you have the bull, okay, which represents the strength, okay, which is the aleph. So look, the teeth, which is the sheen, means something like pressing, as one does the teeth to chew food. So you're pressing. So it's a fire that's being essentially pressed. And then, what about the word dot? Because it says it's dot. What do we do with the word dot in here? Dot is translated as law. But this is not just law, because law is Torah. Not dot. Dot has a much deeper meaning. Dot literally means the edict, statutes, and commissions, essentially. Can I, can I share something with you? Because I'm probably still speaking foreign. The dot is equivalent to the oral law. Because the dot explains the hukims for the written Torah. So when we're talking about the commission, when we're talking about the edict, when we're talking about a statue, a hukim, the hukims are actually found in the Jewish oral traditions. And halakha, you know, how do we walk our halakha every day? That's what he's saying, a fiery law combined together. Look, it means that law it's a picture of a door. Now, this is interesting. You got the Dalit, right? And then you got the Taf. The Dalit represents, you know, the door, of course. And then the Taf is marked by a cross, which is a mark. When you combine these pictures, it means entering with a mark. Essentially. So, what do we got combined here all together? Oops. And for some reason, there we go. It's that... When you put it all together, it means strength through the pressing down that generates fire that purifies so we can enter through the door, Yeshua, by the mark that was given as a sign of the covenant. It's really, really powerful, folks. You see this edat, eshdat, connects with the word of Moses when he said, this is the blessing. Remember, he's about to die. And he, these are the final words that he's going to give to his people. To the people of Israel before his death. It's going to be hard. You're going to have to struggle. But Hashem will give you victory. The blessing lies folks. When we've been persecuted. And you will feel. The shalom that surpasses our understanding. That the world cannot understand. This is essentially what he's eradicating to the people. So that they may be encouraged. Deuteronomy 33 5. Then a king arose in Jeshurun with says. When the leaders of the people were gathered, all the tribes of Israel, what? Together. I cannot stress the togetherness, folks. You need, whether you like it or not, you need a congregation. We all need congregation, folks. We all need the mishpaha because that's, you know why? Because that's the way God set it up. Simply put. Simply put. There's no other way around it. He set it up so that we can be together whether we like it or not. Look. It says that a king arose in Jeshurun. The sages say that Moses was the first king of Israel. Essentially. 
Wow, talk about the prophecy of the Messiah. Look, IBN Ezra says this, Moses was the king for the entire nation show its allegiance and obedience to him. You know what's so amazing about this? That the churches today teach that Jesus is the king. And they're right in saying that. Yeshua is the king. But do you know that one of the laws for the king is that the king had to have a copy of the law of Moses? Do you know? These are facts. By the way, folks, what I teach you in here, 99.5% is facts. I don't go into areas that I'm not familiar, but I do, I do present facts because I want you to challenge the facts. Because they're facts. You can't do anything about it. The fact is, the king of Israel had to have a copy of the Torah. That's facts number one. Fact number two, the king had to judge according to the Torah. Fact number three, the high priest had to be there when the king passed a judgment. Why? For the accountability of the word of God. So, just saying, Bo, before we move on here, because I'm running short in time. If the king of Israel has to judge according to the Torah, right? And we are saying that Jesus is the king who's returning, right? And Revelation says that he is going to judge. What is he going to judge with, folks? The very thing that we're telling people we don't need. Can you see the deception of the enemy there? Look. It says that Moses was the king for the entire nation, showed his allegiance, obedience to him, as the one who taught them God's Torah. According to Rabbi Yehuda Halevi, the Torah itself is the king also, for it is Israel's ultimate authority. When scripture laments there was no king in Israel, remember Judges chapter 8-1? It means that the people lag in their obedience to the Torah. That's a little insight there. Whenever it says that there was no king in Israel and everybody did what was right in their own eyes, it's an idiom for saying there was no Torah. The people were not following. Can we, can we actually say that today we are kind of living the days of judges? Because a lot of people are not listening to the Torah. A lot of people don't want to take the yoke upon themselves or the Torah. They don't want the yoke of heaven. So look what it says. He continues saying, Indeed, for one to say that he believed. Now listen to this. I love what IBN Ezra says in here. Pay attention if not anything. Pay attention to this. He says, Indeed, for one to say that he believes in God, but not in his Torah, is the same as denying God himself. For a king without authority is not a king. What have we made Yeshua to be a king with no authority? And how can we say we believe in God when we don't believe in his law? The nonsense that we've been uttering for thousands of years. And then we have wondered why we're living in a curse. Because the part of the blessing of the bracha is that you need to walk in the Torah. You see? Luke 6.46, Yeshua said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Is he your Lord? Is Yeshua your Lord? Okay, why are you not doing what he tells you then? In other words, stop calling me Lord, Lord, if you're not going to do what I'm telling you. You know, Yeshua could not stand hypocrisy. I got to tell you, he had a problem with hypocrisy. But the problem with religious system is that it's very, very, very hypocritical. You see? 
Dr. Zivi Sadan from the Conceal Light says this, and this is beautiful. He says, being the first redeemer, Moses' character and deeds made him a messianic figure. This is very important, folks, because you see, I believe with all my heart that if we already knew, if we would have understood this concept, we would have never, ever in the in, in world's history, we would have never uttered Jesus did away with the law. It would have not even been an option. Have we have known this? But what happened? We got removed. See, we got removed from the family that God said is yours. And we don't understand our family anymore. That's the problem. We cannot identify anymore. So it says in here that Moses' character, these made him a messianic figure. This means that the last redeemer can only be authenticated if he truly resembles Moses. If we are proclaiming a Messiah that does not resemble Moses, we are actually proclaiming a golden calf. We are in the wilderness building a golden calf and calling him Yeshua or Jesus or whatever you call him. Because you see, I don't get wrapped up in name, but I do get wrapped up in characters. Don't tell me you serve Jesus, the God of Israel, but you believe in lawlessness because now we're going to have a fight. Care less what you call him. Because since we're going, he comes back, he say he's going to come back with a name that no one knows. So I don't get wrapped up in names, but I do get wrapped up in the character because the name represents the character. So it better match the character of Moses. So if you proclaim a Messiah that does not look like Moses, we have a problem. By the way, don't fall for it, folks. Anybody out there proclaiming you the Messiah did this, this, and this, and that, and it comes against Yehuda, and it comes against Torah, and it comes against the culture, you need to exit out. Say, rolling out. Okay? Because he's not the one who figures. Look. Jewish sources therefore expect Messiah to be a Moses-like figure. This is the reason, listen to what he say, Dr. Sivisavan, this is the reason why Jesus is not accepted in the Jewish world. Wonder why? Because what we have turned Jesus to look like. Does he look like Moses? How can he look like Moses if he's speaking against Moses? <laughs> this is the reason why. Part of the Jewish world doesn't receive Jesus because he's not one who looks like Moses. He's against the Torah. No, no, no Messiah can be against Moses, folks. They understand this. Deuteronomy 33, 4, 5. Moses commanded us, again, the heritage of the congregation of Jacob. And he, Moses, a shadow of the coming king, was king in Jerusalem. With the heads of the people and the tribes of Israel were gathered together. That word in there for Jerusalem is from the Hebrew word Yashar. Which literally means to be, to be right, to be prosperous, to be straight, essentially. You know, when Yeshua talk about the straight, narrow road, okay, it's connected to this word, Yashar here. To be right, to be righteous, according to who? The Torah, folks. The Torah. Look, Dr. Sivi Sadan conceals, con and the conceal light continues with this. Messiah as Stam King flows from the understanding of the words of Hannah. I'm going to share something very awesome with you today. The prayer of Hannah is a messianic figure. Let me show you. It says in here, he will get strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. That's in 1 Samuel 2.10. You can mark that in your Bible if you want. And that's what it says. 
It says, He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Since there was no king in Israel when Hannah said that this prayer, because at that time there was no king in Israel, okay? When these words were spoken, some could assume that Hannah was prophesying about the Messiah, they say. So says Radak, the king is Messiah. And Hannah said it by the way of prophecy or by the way of tradition. Since she had the tradition that in the future, Israel will have a king. And that is Radak commentary in 1 Samuel 2.10. Because the king is prophetic of the Mashiach, who is Moses, essentially. The Zohar in Lech Lecha says this. This is the heavenly strength, which is wisdom. As it says, he will give strength to his king. This is the prayer of Anna. And this is what the Zohar is talking about that prayer. He will give strength to his king. And who is this king? They ask. This is Stam King who is King Messiah. And therefore when it says here to your servant, it means King Messiah who is, as we said, the Stam King. See, they understood that the king... Moshe, the prayer of Hannah, and there's more verses throughout the Tanakh that connect Moses and Yeshua as one. See, this is what's so amazing and beautiful. The king of Israel will bring all the leaders and the tribes together, folks. Can I say something here? In the unity of the Torah of Moses and himself, the testimony of Messiah. Look what it says. Or rather what I typed in here. The king of Israel will bring all the leaders and the tribes together. Whose job is to identify the tribes and bring them together? The Messiahs. Okay. Stop trying to identify tribes. It's not your job. And by the way, you're never going to find out. I promise you. Because that's why the Torah says the secret things belong to the Lord. And the things that have been revealed, it says it, it is the Torah that we may do it. It doesn't say the things that have been revealed is the identity of the 12 tribes of Israel. Go find them. It says the Torah. Because through the Torah, we will unify. And then he will make the identity. You see how that works? All in order, folks. All in order. If you start to try to do Yeshua's job, I promise you, you're going to go into an adventure that you're not going to like. Stop stepping out of the boundaries that don't belong to you. Stick with your boundaries. That's what the Torah is all about. Boundaries. He will collect the people. So what is our job? To study Torah because guess what? He's going to unify us in the Torah of Moses. Now that's something that's huge because we have so many ministries out there today that want to unify, 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 but we're willing to unify at any cost. At any cost. And I'm talking about any cost. We have gotten to the point right now that for the sake of unity, we will allow perversion to come into the body. For the sake of unity, we say, you know what, Christmas, we can all do it. Ah, who cares? We're unifying. So does the world. And the Tower of Babel, folks, they unify. Some of you may say, but the Tower of Babel, Richard, is that we're, you were unifying wickedness. Not in their thoughts. Because do you understand, I don't know if you know this, that the Tower of Babel was a representation of righteousness for them? Because the Tower of Babel was to be a, supposed to be a tower that reaches to the heaven. 
Okay, many people say, oh, they were trying to, they were trying to escape the flood. It has nothing to do with escaping the flood. The Tower of Bible is so that they can be close to God. And all the people came together from all walks of life to come together so we can come close to the Lord. And what did he do? Scattering you. You see, because it doesn't work. You cannot come to the God of Israel in your terms. You understand that? It's his terms. His way. That's it. It's, it's his way. That's just the way he is. Baruch Hashem for that. So today, let's not, let's not be like those people and back then in the Tower of Babel. Let's not make the mistake that they made that for the sake of unity, now we're bringing in all kinds of unclean doctrine and allowing everything. Guys, God doesn't care about unity. He cares about his people being unified in righteousness. It's not a popularity event here. It's not numbers. That's another thing that we bring in Christianity. Numbers, 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 numbers. This is not a sales job. Honestly, we treat it like a sales job. Well, I need so many numbers this month. What, are you going to get fired if you do? This is a holy, and I mean a strictly holy calling. Where we are seeking those who are really his. Do you know that in Judaism, the average synagogue is only like 40 at the most? And in Yeshua, in Yeshua's day, oh my God, if you had 40 people in a synagogue, whew, the average was like 15, 20. That's it. See, the whole big stage of people came from Roman Colosseum. And now our eyes have, have a taste of that. And now if we don't have thousand members in a congregation that we feel God is not there. Be careful. Your mind needs to change, folks. Your mind needs to change. Because we're looking and we are searching not for popularity. We're searching for a remnant. Do you understand what a remnant means? It's small by definition. Out of all the people of Israel, only two enter the promised land. Talk about a remnant. Don't talk to me about, you mean to tell me that only this much? Yeah, two enter the promised land out of thousands. Do that number. Digest that number for me. And tell me what your thoughts are. It has to be in the unity of the Torah Moses. We should come together in unity, gathering in unity because of Messiah. In him we are all united as one. Truly, we can only accomplish through the King of Kings, folks. We will gather all the people. He will gather all the people and gather every nation, tribe, and tongue to teach and engrave the Torah of Moses in their hearts. You understand that he's the one who's going to do the gathering. So what is your job? Well, some plant, someone reaps. This is what Yeshua talked about in John chapter 4. He said, I have sent you to go out into the field, to the harvest, for others have worked there. And you profit from their work. What the prophets did you now, you now capitalize on what the prophet says. Now you pick up from that now. And you continue the work. Why? Because what we're doing is we're separating the remnant of the God of Israel. So when he returns back, his bride is ready. But guess what? There's got to be workers in the field who are going to get his bride ready. And that is your job. Your job is not to go out there and try to identify Ephraim. Your job is to equip the people to love the God of Israel, to love his people. So when he comes, he will collect them understand your role and follow that role don't deviate to the left don't deviate to the right stick with that role folks what happened if 
other than Aaron, somebody entered into the Holy of Holies. What happened if a Levite, who was not the descendant of Aaron, entered into one of the courtyards, not the Holy Holy, any of the courtyards in the temple? What would happen? Yes. Even though they were Levites. Levites were only allowed in a certain part of the courtroom, uh, the courtyard and the, and the temple. You had to be specifically descendant of Aaron to enter to certain parts of the temple. Even though if you were Levite, you didn't qualify. Stick to your job. This is the order of the God of Israel, folks. Because we are building his sanctuary after all, right? Revelation 5.9 says, And they sang a new song. We talked about this last week with the Torah portion of Hazinu, right? And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to break its seals because you were slaughtered. At the cost of blood, you ransomed for God persons from what? Every tribe, every language, every people, and every nation. How did that happen? Because now every tribe, every people, every language, every nation is being grafted into the covenants of Israel. And they have become one with the people of Israel. That means that if you have an anti-Semitic spirit, you need to get rid of it. You understand what that means? Because you can't say, well, I'm from Israel, but I feel that I'm from the tribe of Ephraim. How? Where in the Bible does God say, I'm going to keep Ephraim as a light for the nations? Say, I'm going to keep Judah to be a light for the nations. That's his order, folks. Remember that. Not yours. It's his thoughts, not your thoughts. You made them, all the tribe, all the language of the people, you made them into a kingdom of God to rule as Kohanim, to serve him. Kohanim, the priests. You have turned them into a priesthood. But guess what, folks? The priesthood has to work orderly. Isaiah 2.3 says, And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, Hashem, to the house of the God of Jacob. You know, you know that this is a repetition throughout Scripture? Israel, Jacob, Israel, Jacob. If you don't identify with Jacob and Israel, folks, that's no good. It's all about Israel and Jacob at the end of the day. It says, to the house of, of God of Jacob, he may teach us his ways and that we may what? Walk in his path. For out of Zion, that's again an idiom. That's an idiom. You know, when it says, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the, uh, and the, word of the Hashem from Jerusalem. Do you know that these are the words right here of Isaiah 2 3? It's what Yeshua was telling the Samaritan woman when he said that salvation is from the Jews. Because why? Out of Zion will go forth the Torah. It's out of Israel that the light shines. He left the standing tribe so that we can, they can be a light to the world. Understand the purpose, the chazon of Hashem, guys, so that we may walk on it and not work, work against it. Out of Zion, remember, will go forth the Torah. Malachi 4.4, remember the law of my servant Moses, it says. The statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb of all, all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day that Hashem comes. I want you guys in this congregation to be the voice of Elijah. Because the voice of Elijah has to go out before the great coming in the great day of the Lord. There's always a messenger that is sent, folks. Are you willing to be the messenger? 
if you're willing to be the messenger then you need to truly have this understanding of his law it has to be in your heart you have to be, have the zeal for him you cannot be the messenger Elijah the voice of Elijah if you are allowing corruption to come into your assembly or into your life for that matter now Moses blesses and prophesies to Israel blessing over the tribes we see this in Genesis 49 Yaakov and Moses did in Deuteronomy 33 what, what is the, the similarities look in Genesis 49 before they were taken into captivity still living in Egypt prophesies of the future time in Deuteronomy 3 before they were taken to the promise living in the wilderness again prophesizing of a time of the future as well so Jeshurun there's none like God riding through the heavens to help you riding on the clouds in his majesty to you who are upright made right through the Messiah Hashem rise through the heavens to help you folks do you understand that Deuteronomy 33:26 has not been fulfilled yet? That's a prophecy in the future when the uh, the heavens where the scrolls will open and we will see the son of man coming down from heaven to help you folks. But guess what? You don't have to wait for that day. He can do it now for you. We just have to walk it and believe in faith. So Moses, the servant of Adonai, we're going to finish up in here. Moses, the servant of Adonai. Now this is very interesting in the Torah scroll. It says, Deuteronomy 34, 5 says, So Moses, the servant of Adonai, died in the land of Moab, as Adonai has said. It's interesting, believe it or not, and I want to challenge each one of you to look it up, that this is the first time in the entire Tanakh that God uses the term servant of the Lord. Connected with Moses. Why? He was called man of God. He was called all these different things but never the servant of the Lord. Let's look at this. In Hebrew it says, Vaimat Shan Moshe, Evet Yehovah Be'eretz Moav, says. The Hebrew word opening is, Vaimat Shan Moshe, Died there Moses, the Evet of Hashem. What is an Evet? A servant, right? A servant. Now, what's interesting about this, that the word Evet in Hebrew is a three-letter word that carries the Ayn, the Bait, and the Dalit. The Ayn, according to Hazal, connects with to see, to experience something, right? To see. Then you have the house and you have the door. To experience the door that leads you into the house. Now, there's something very prophetic about this because look. In this terminology right here, the Chumash shares something very prophetic. It says, the servant of Hashem, even as he died, Moses was still Hashem's servant. Meaning, obeying his command, right? Willingly, according to IBN Ezra. When he was alive, the Chumash says, he was called the man of God. We just read that, Deuteronomy 33.1. But in the, in the death, he is called a servant for the first time. To allude to a new and higher status. For Listen to what Humash says. For a servant is permitted, as it were, to enter into the inner chamber of the king. That is so powerful, folks. That's why he was called the servant of the Lord now. Because the Evet is the one who sees and experiences the door that leads into the house. Now he enters into the chambers of the king. It's a beautiful thing, folks. That's why Paul says 
that in his death he found life literally you can die right now today spiritually and be reborn again and experience the inner chambers of the king folks in a spiritual sense not in a physical sense but in a spiritual sense more than you think so it says an evet which is a servant literally a slave that's what paul talks about i the bond servant of the lord it's unique how many of you consider yourself servants of god okay so let's see what it has to say to see if it matches what you're saying it says a slave is unique in that he has no independent identity or legal status he lives totally for his owner in receiving this title Moses was given the highest possible compliment he lived completely and slowly for the sake of God as a slave you have no rights you live for the will of somebody else do the math now okay because that's what he wants from you he wants you to live completely and solely do you know that the slave the master was obligated of the slave and talking about in biblical times when you were working and you were a slave and you had a master you have to surrender your will to that master but here's what the master had to do in exchange for you the master had to provide you with your essentials now take that understanding and now apply it to the master master slave relation between yeshua and us today as we surrender completely everything to him right and we have no identity no purpose and our will is his will by the way we pray that all the time right that means that he and only he is responsible for providing for you and that's comforting because he is merciful amen so the last words of the torah folks and we'll finalize here deuteronomy 34 11 what signs and wonders are the I sent him to perform in the land of Egypt on Pharaoh, all his servants in all his land? What might was in, the, in his hand? What great terror he evoked before the eyes of all Israel. And it ends right there in the Torah. And it's interesting because the last word is Israel. So look, the first word of the Torah, which we're going to start next week, it is what? Bereshit, which literally means in the beginning. The last word of the Torah is Israel. When you combine it together, the beginning was Israel. That's why you need to identify with these people, folks. Because it says that, that is, those are the people that are in his heart. But it gets even better than this. In the beginning, Israel. But look, the first letter, if you take the first letter of each, Bereshit, right? And then you take the first letter of Israel, now I'm switching them. We got the bite and the yot. And when you get the bite and the yot combined together, it's bai. That means in me, my house. So the whole Torah reveals Israel is in his house. And we see the fulfillment of that in Revelation 22, when all Israel will finally march in to his house for the portion of Jehovah is his people, Yaakov, his allotted inheritance. He found him in the wilderness and in a wasted, howling desert. He encompassed him. He made him understand. He watched over him as the apple of his eye, folks. How could you not want to identify with these people? I want to be the apple of his eye. 
so should you. <laughs> so we finalized with that, found family. So let us stand. As we end the Torah portion, folks, we will always end with the Hazak, Hazak, Veni, Hazek. Why? Because the por portion is teaching us that each book that we finish, we're supposed to leave strengthened and getting ready for the next one. Because through the next one, we become stronger now. As the cycles continue, we grow in our understanding of the Lord God of Israel. Amen? So all together, Hazak, Hazak, Veni, Hazek. Be strong, be strong, and may you be strengthened. Amen. So to get started, uh, good scripture. We end Devarim and then we go right into Joshua for our half Torah. How many of you know that Joshua's Hebrew name is Yehoshua? And that it was derived from Hosea, which is salvation. Yehoshua being the salvation of God. How many of you know that our Messiah's name was Yeshua, which is the Aramaic version of Yehoshua? Interestingly enough, Joshua is also a type and shadow of the Messiah. Joshua led, led the people into the land of Israel just as the Messiah himself will bring the people back in and lead them into the land of Israel. We ended our portion today in chapter 34. And it says, And Yehoshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom, for Moshe had laid his hands on him. And the children of Israel listened to him and did as Hashem had commanded Moshe. Of course, it says that Moshe had laid his hands on him. Interestingly enough, we have to back up just a little bit, not just in the book of Devarim, Deuteronomy, but we also have to go back to the book of Numbers. So I want to I give you a little bit of the chronology of the anointing of uh, the Spirit upon Joshua. So let's back up to Deuteronomy 31, verses 2 and 3. It says, And he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I am no longer able to go out and come in. And Hashem has said to me, You do not pass over this Jordan. Hashem your Elohim himself is passing over before you. He shall destroy these nations from before you, and you possess them. Joshua himself is passing over before you, as Hashem has spoken. We skip down to verse 7. It says, Moshe called Joshua and said to him before all the eyes of Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you are going with this people to the land which Hashem has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you are to let them inherit it. And it is Hashem who is going before you. He himself is with you. He does not fail you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be discouraged. Verse 14, Hashem said to Moshe, See, the days have drawn near for you to die. Call Joshua and present yourselves in the tent of appointment so that I command him. And Moshe and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tent of appointment. In Numbers 27 now, verse 15, it says, Moshe spoke to Hashem saying, Let Hashem, the Elohim of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who goes out before them and comes in before them, who leads them out, brings them in so that the congregation of Hashem be not like sheep without a shepherd. Now we understand by going back to that particular portion. What Richard had showed us that the sages understood was that Moshe was actually hoping that his son would be established as their leader. But it was not. It was not to be so. Joshua had spent the last 40 years learning from Moshe, from be being his disciple. So it says, and, Moshe, and, and Hashem said to Moshe, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, with you, a man in whom is the Spirit, and you shall lay your hand on him, and shall set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation, and give him command before their eyes. They're doing it in front of the entire assembly so that the entire assembly understands that Joshua is going to be their next leader. So that there's absolutely no question 
and no argument. You shall put some of your esteem upon uh, some of your esteem on him, so that all the congregation of the children of Israel obey him. And he is to stand before Eleazar the priest, who shall inquire before Hashem for him by the right ruling of the Urim. At his word they go out, and at his word they come in, both he and all the children of Israel with him, all the congregation. And Moshe did as Hashem commanded. Now I'm going to skip back down to Deuteronomy 31, verse 23. It says, He commanded him to be strong and courageous, for you're going to bring the children of Israel into the land which I swore to them, and I myself am with you. And now we, re we get back to 34 in our Torah portion, and Joshua is now to take command. And, and Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom, for Moshe had laid his hands on him. And the children of Israel listened to him and did as Hashem commanded. Interestingly enough here, the sages actually say regarding this verse that not a single individual stood against Joshua when he was in command. The entire book, the entire time that Joshua was in command, not one man came against him, unlike with Moshe. Now as an introduction to Joshua in Chazal, it says, that as the ages, sages express it, the face of Moses was like the sun. And it was, because we remember reading when Moshe came down off the Mount Sinai, having been with Hashem for 40 days and for 40 nights, he shone like the sun. But they, all go, on, they go on to say that the face of Joshua was like the moon. And this is not a criticism of Joshua. <laughs> Interestingly enough, Genesis 1.16 says, Elohim made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night. Joshua, neither he nor anyone else could approach Moshe's level of prophecy. Rather, it is a compliment to Moshe's primary disciple and divinely designated successor that he was a faithful reflection of his master's teachings. Now, just like Paul says that he imitates Messiah and we should imitate him in order that we be like Messiah, well, that's what Joshua was doing. Joshua was being like the Messiah that Moshe was. And Moshe was being like the Messiah, the Messiah, in whose presence he had just spent 40 days and 40 nights, shining that radiance. Now we go to John chapter 8, verses, verse 12. It says, Therefore Yeshua spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall by no means walk in darkness, but possess the light of life. So Mashiach is the light of the world. Just as we read in the beginning of Genesis that God created the light, he separated the light from the darkness. He saw that the light was good. And he called the light day, and the darkness he called night. Yeshua is the light of the world. And again, as Moshe, as, as, excuse me, as Paul says, we are to, as he, as he is an Im imitator of Messiah, we are to imitate him so that we be like Messiah. Yeshua confirms that. Matthew 5, 14, he says, you are the light of the world. But he just got through saying, I am the light of the world. But guess what? If we are imitators of him, then we also are the light of the world. It is impossible for a city to be hidden on a mountain. Therefore, we can't hide our light. If we are truly in him, just like Joshua was in him, because Joshua was a representation of Messiah in following behind Moshe, shown like Moshe. Chazal goes on to say, It was Joshua's mission to plant the seeds of Torah in the land of Israel and to mold the entirely new existence in which the people found themselves. In the wilderness they had been nestled in a cocoon of miracles. Their food, their water, their protection from, atta uh, from attack was all provided by Hashem. Now, Upon entering the land, they would have to plow and plant, dig wells, irrigate fields, in addition to fighting wars of conquest and defense. If they maintained their allegiance to God in his Torah, they would give, he, Hashem would give them victory and prosperity. But if not, their future would be in peril. Joshua had to, 
Now see if you understand this word, inculcate. Anybody know what inculcate means? I had to look this one up. It is to instill an attitude, idea, or habit by, pers by persistent instruction. Isn't that what we do by going through the Torah every single year? Full cycles? Persistence. So Joshua had to instill these ideas by habit in persistent instruction. The people with this fundamental truth that things were going to change. He had to gain their confidence and loyalty. He had to lead them into battle and to imbue them with the conviction that Jewish warriors may not neglect their religious and moral responsibilities. They had to take those moral and religious responsibilities into war with them. He had to fulfill the commandment that the Canaanites who refused to make peace would not be allowed to survive. Guess what? He didn't fulfill that. Difficult though this was for a nation that was weaned on mercy. He had to divide the land among the tribes and establish the eternal borders of the land and its individual provinces. Do you know the dispute that takes place between two people over land and a border and a boundary? It's severe because they want fairness. They want equality. You're taking something that belongs to me or I'm taking something that may belong to you and you might not, and I may not realize it. He had to assure that there would be national unity among tribal diversity, especially in the case of the two and a half tribes that had chosen to remain on the east bank of the Jordan. He succeeded to an astounding degree because he was able to portion out that entire land of Israel to all of the tribes in fairness and equality. Chazal goes on to say in the, in, the, in the opening of verses 1 through 9, he says, the mourning period for Moses was now over. And now he, Hashem is now addressing Joshua, saying, it's time. It's time to go into the land. You need to prepare the people. Israel was poised on the bank of the Jordan to enter its land, led by Joshua. His mission began with a charge from God, affirming his leadership, assuring him that his authority would be unchallenged, and exhorting him to be strong and resolute. And we open up with verse 1. It came to be after the death of Moshe, the servant of Hashem, that Hashem spoke to Yehoshua, son of Nun, the assistant of Moshe, saying, and before we get to say what he said, I want to go back to Chazal because it was important. Chazal says that in, re in reference to the servant of Hashem and that jo uh, Joshua was the servant of, uh, excuse me, the attendant of Moses, says the greatness of these two leaders is expressed in the titles given to them in this verse. Moses was the servant, literally the slave of God. Most of us here don't really have an understanding of what it means to be a slave. We serve, we serve one another, and we serve Elohim in serving one another. But do we truly understand what it means to be a slave? We've never been chained down and, and ordered, forced against our own will to do that in servitude to somebody else. A slave is a person with no possessions, no will, no legal status, no authority of his own. He is totally subservient to his master. To an ordinary human being, a slave is the most degraded title imaginable. But to a servant of God, it is the loftiest. After Moshe's death, Scripture testifies that he had lived for only one reason, to serve God with no thought of himself. No greater compliment can be given to any man. Chazal goes on to say, Joshua was Moses' attendant. He stayed at Moses' side as his student, his disciple, and his servant. He absorbed Moshe's teachings by example as well as through discourse. 
his contemporaries, those men around him, likened Moses to the sun and Joshua to the moon. And indeed, Joshua was a reflection of Moses' brilliance. This was his greatness. And this was why God chose him to succeed Moses. It is a tribute to Joshua's fulfillment of his mission that at the end of his life, God gave him the same title that he gave Moses. And we can read in Joshua 24, 29 that Joshua was a servant of Hashem. Malbim notes that his death is mentioned before he is given the title. Interestingly enough, so was Moses. Implying that he continued to serve God even after his death. Because he strove not merely for self-improvement, but for the, excuse me, for the perfection of his generation. The work of such a Zadik, the righteous one, does not end with his death because his accomplishments live on in his survivors and their offspring for as long as his teachings bear fruit. And that is exactly how you and I should be thinking. We should be hoping and striving that what we teach the next generations would live on in them so that we live on through them. Joshua was a servant of God. And as such, he was a foreshadow of Messiah. Yeshua, the servant. Yeshua gave up his own will, just as Joshua gave up his will, and Moshe gave up his will. In John 6.38, Yeshua says, Because I have come down out of the heaven not to do my own desire, but the desire of him who sent me. Yeshua was here only to do the will of God. Now the will of God included a lot of different tasks for him. It was to gather the lost sheep of Israel. To save. To call to repentance. But none of that was his own will. He was the right hand of God. My right hand only does what I want it to. Just as Yeshua did only that which Hashem, the Father, wanted him to do. Romans 15.3 says, For even Messiah did not please himself, but as it, as it has been written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell upon me. He didn't come to be glorified. He didn't come to do his own thing. He didn't come to have his own sin, but rather to be sinless and then take upon himself all of our sin. Joshua and Moses both supported the law of God. They supported his Torah. They reinforced it. They wanted their people to carry it on, to live, because in it is life. Yeshua, Matthew 5.17. We all know it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it for you anyway. Do not think that I came to destroy the Torah of the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to complete or to fulfill, to give an example of, to show you how to walk it out. He didn't come to do away with it. Truly I say to you, till the heaven and the earth pass away, one yod nor one tittle shall by no means pass from the Torah till all be done. Heaven and earth are eternal. So when they're gone, then Torah will be gone. Well, guess what? That means the Torah is eternal. It's sticking around, you guys. Whoever then breaks one of the least of these and teaches men so shall be called least in the reign in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Just as Richard has always said, his greatest delight will be at the end when Hashem looks down upon him and says, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm pleased with you. Blessed be his name. Baruch Hashem. <laughs> Joshua came as a servant. 
Almost. Joshua came as a servant. Yeshua came as a servant. Matthew 20, 25 and 28 says, Yeshua called them near and said, You know that the rulers of the nations are masters over them. Those who are great exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you, let him be your servant. Even as the son of Adam did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. To save. But first to serve. We should be arguing over who's going to do what. I want to do that because I'm, I'm here to serve you. Instead of, well, I don't want to do it. And blessed be his name, I heard about some coming together for some of the duties around the assembly. In servitude. Some of the lowliest job that needs to be done. And people are desiring to do it in service. Philippians 2, 1 and 8 says, If then there is any encouragement in Messiah, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, having the same love, one in being and of purpose, doing none at all through selfishness or self-conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each one should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of the others. And I would actually say, first their interests before ours, before your own. For let this mind be in you, which was also in Messiah, Yeshua, who being in the form of Elohim, did not regard equality with Elohim a matter to be grasped. We need to have that same mind. We need to remember that his ways are above our ways and his thoughts are above our thoughts. We may not understand the full breadth and scope of what he's doing and how he's doing it and how he's making it happen. We don't get to see the whole picture. We don't get to see the whole puzzle. That's okay. Because we're just, each and every one of us, just completing a little portion of that puzzle. Yeshua emptied himself, taking the form of a servant and came to be in the likeness of men. Having been found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death death even of the stake so my prayer for each and every one of us is to be the servant that Moshe was to give completely of ourselves to be the servant that Yeshua was who came not to do his own will but the will of the father and we give up our own worldly desires for furtherance of the kingdom of Hashem that we all step up to the plate and do that which we've been called to do in servitude of our Heavenly Father, just as Moses, Joshua, and Yeshua were our examples. That's your half tour today. Oh, Hashem, I don't have a uh, PowerPoint either today, which means it's going to be fast. <coughs> so we're Getting into this passage today of Matthew 5.17. Quit it. <laughs> Matthew 5.17, right, through 48. And this is an amazing, I mean, we can probably spend the rest of this afternoon today talking about what Yeshua is expounding in these verses. However, I won't do that because we're camping. 
right? And everybody's tired. But we are going to glean from what he has t is talking, or rather what he talked in here, because what Yeshua is doing here, whether you realize it or not, he's setting up parameters for halakha. Okay? What is halakha? Your walk. But more uh, in the sense of how to walk it, it is called oral, tradi oral tradition. Yeshua is actually doing oral tradition here. And why do I say that? Because the verse opens up in Matthew 5.17 with, Do not think I have come to destroy the law and the prophet. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For surely I say to you, to heaven and earth pass away, not one, one uh, jot or tittle by no means will pass from the law until it's all fulfilled. Way talked about that. It says, whoever therefore breaks the least of these commandments and teaches man, so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So just between 17 and 20, before he actually gets into Halakha, he's making establishment in here and letting the people know. By the way, Matthew chapter 5 Yeshua is still on the mountain. This is the same chapter that we cover earlier today when he say the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, the Beatitudes. He's still there. He hasn't come down. We're still in the same context. Right? And the context is the mountain. The context is the, uh, the, context is the blessing. So in this whole aspect of the blessing, just like Rabbi Moshe said, Bezod Habracha, Yeshua now is saying, Blessed are you. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. However, now he goes on to say, while I'm blessing you, Israel, I want you to understand that all these words that I'm speaking to you does not translate, nor does it mean that I'm doing away with the Torah. In other words, everything that you're hearing that I'm saying to you concerning the bracha, the blessing, is Torah in the other way. So he goes on to say, whoever therefore breaks the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom. Why did he say that? Anybody want to get a crack out of it? Right. But how about something more specific? Because remember, he's in the mountain, right? And he said, this is the blessing, right? And during that blessing, he said, do not deviate to the left or to the right to it. Keep in that narrow path the least to life, essentially, right? He also warns them about the future pitfalls that's going to befall them. You guys remember Balaam? Okay. In the book of Chazon, Revelation, it says that Yeshua has a problem with the, the church that's teaching the doctrine of Balaam. Teaching the doctrine of Balaam. He said, I have an issue with you. And if you don't turn around and repent from what you're doing, Guess what? <laughs> I'm going to blot you out, essentially. Right? So why is it that in here, in Matthew 5, 19, it says that whoever therefore breaks the least of these commandments and teaches men so will be called least in the kingdom. But then in Revelation, he says, you're teaching the doctrine of Balaam. I'm just going to blot you out. What's going on in here? Is there a discrepancy here? Because it sounds like in one, he's saying, well, 
the fact that you are breaking the least of these commandments and you're teaching men to do so, your punishment is going to be a lower position. Right? Because he says least in the kingdom. Well, many people have said, well, at least I'm in the kingdom. Right? So you want to cover everything today. At least I'm in the kingdom. I'm just going to be called least. That's okay. Because I would rather be a janitor in the house of the Lord. You know, now we get all spiritual about it. But the reality, folks, is that we always have to take everything back to the Torah. The key word in here is teach men to do so. Where in scripture do we ever read that Hashem commands those who teach against his law? Or he rewards them in a, w in a good way. He doesn't. So what does it mean? Do you know that that Greek word in there when it says that they will be called least in the kingdom? Two things that confuse people with this verse. Number one, the kingdom of heaven. And two, least. So we attribute both to saying, I'm in heaven, but I'm called least. But I'm still in heaven. But we got a problem with that. The kingdom of heaven is not a location. Yeshua said it. The kingdom of heaven is not a place. It's a ruling system. It's in your heart. It's here right now. He said it. So the kingdom of Hashem is right now here. Not the pearly gates, but here, folks. What about least? Do you know that that Greek word, if you go back to the Septuagint, everybody familiar with the Septuagint? You take that word from the Septuagint and translate it back to Hebrew. takes you back to the Hebrew word katon. This is where we get the word for talit katan. You got a talit gadol and you got a talit katan. Right? Katan literally means to cut you off. That's why a gadol is big, and when you chop it, it becomes now katan. Depending on the context that you're speaking, it could be a very negative thing because it carries the connotation of cutting you off. So let's read this in context now. Yeshua being a Jewish rabbi. The kingdom is not a place. Remember, it's here today. He's saying those who are here today who are teaching against the law of Moses to break the commandments, I'm essentially going to cut them off. It's not that you're in heaven. He said, I'm cutting you off. You're going to be considered least. You're going to be considered cut off, essentially. But the ones who teach the word of Hashem, they will be called gadol. They will be called great right now, here today, in this world. Amen. So now we enter into Matthew 5.21. It says, you have heard that it was said of, the, of those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be danger of judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, you shall be in danger of the hellfire. So let's look at this. First and foremost, it says you have heard of old. Why does he open up by saying you have heard? Notice that he doesn't say it is written. But he said you have heard. Why you have heard? Because what he's doing, he is explaining oral law. He's actually taking, kind of like what Brother Way said this morning, or just now, he is taking literally the Torah, and he is what? Edifying it, making it stand. So he is saying, the traditions that you've heard, 
the halakha that you have heard, it's not that necessarily it's wrong, but I'm going to take it to a whole different level. Because you have heard of old that it says that you shall not murder. That is true. And if you do, you will be punished. That is true. But I'm here to tell you, halakha, that if you are even angry with your brother, you already committed murder in your heart. He's taking the old law to a whole different level, folks. Can I ask you a question here? Where in the Torah does it say that if you're mad at your brother in your heart, you're liable to death? Where? Where in the written word of God says that? Where? No. No, no, where? Numbers where? I'd love to hear it. Show it to me. Yeah. Where does it say it? It doesn't, family. Nowhere in the Torah does it say that if you are angry at your brother, you committed murder. So was Yeshua adding to the word of God? Well, depending on what position you're from, you may say yes. Because nowhere it says it. It's not written. So he must be adding. But the reality is he's expounding. See perspective. It doesn't say it. But yet now he is saying, I mean, we could have easily sat there that day and told Yeshua, oh, you trying to be legalistic, Yeshua. You're putting a yoke around my neck that I cannot take it. Nowhere in the world does it say that, so I'm not going to do that. But isn't that the attitude of the Messianic movement today? If it ain't written, I ain't doing it. Well, there's a whole lot of things that you're going to not be doing that Yeshua wants you to do. Think about it. This is part of the Bezot Habracha, the blessing, family. The blessing. Look, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come offer your gift. This is beautiful. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are in the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge. The judge hand you over to the officer and you'll be thrown into prison. You have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not commit adultery. Right? Now, this is another example. We get now, this is something that everybody in here probably can relate, right? Because we live in, in such a lawless times. Adultery. What is adultery? Well, he said, you have heard that you should not commit adultery. Is that true? Yes. But he said, but I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery in his heart. Where in the Torah does it say that if you look at a woman lustfully, you already committed adultery? The Torah doesn't say that. The Torah says if you actually commit the, commit the act of adultery, not the thought of it. What is the Messiah doing in here, folks? It's called oral law. Now he's, it seems like he's adding all these extra laws that Moses never wrote. We can argue that today. We can sit here and argue today all day. And if you were standing that day, you probably would be arguing with the Messiah. Where does Moses said that, Yeshua? That if you think about it, it's, it's adultery. And he'd probably be swishing you off. No, he won't do that. But you get my point. It is the understanding of his word. I want to take you to remember that in Matthew chapter 23, okay, Matthew chapter 23, you can mark that in your Bibles, says the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit on the seat of Moses. He did say that. You see, this is why he's saying this in Matthew chapter 5. 
So therefore, whatever they tell you to do, you must do. I don't care what language you read that. I don't care if you go to the Baal Shem Tov commentary that says, oh, it's talking about Moses. The context is not the written word in there because it says it afterwards. Two verses after that, he expounds what that means. Whatever they tell you to do, you must do. However, don't do as they do, right? Because they speak, but they don't do. And then he goes on to saying that they lay heavy burdens on men. But the idea is, what he's saying is that the interpretations of the sages of that time was not necessarily bad, but it was incomplete. Not bad, incomplete in some cases. Let me share something with you here real quickly. And this, our greatest teacher stood there on that day elaborating on the Torah and the blessings that come along with it. I want to go to verse 39, for instance. 539 says, But I tell you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek Turn the other to him also. This verse has been taken, again, if you remove the interpretation of the sages, you come up with your interpretation. So this, in, this interpretation here has been taken as let yourself get beat at the end of the day. Don't defend yourself. You don't know how many times I heard that nonsense. Give your right cheek. He just punched you. Give him the other face. Let him punch you again. But let's see it here, folks. I want to share this. This is from, and this is an amazing. It is uh, the commentary of the New Testament from the Talmud and the Biblia Hebraica. And I love it because they bring everything back to Hazal. It says, whoever shall smite thee on the right cheek. It says in here that the doctrine of Messiah may here, may here more clearly shine out. Let the Jewish doctrine be set us against it to which he opposed his. And it says in here, in Bavakama, this is in the Talmud, does anyone give his neighbor a box on the ear? What a question. By the way, what does that mean? I don't know. But one thing we do know is this. Let him give him a shilichin, it says. That was a measure of monetary unit. Okay. Rabbi Judah, in the name of Rabbi Yossi, of Galilee said, let him give him a pound. Does he give him a blow upon the cheek? Here's the question. Let him give him 200 Susies, it says. If with the other hand, let him give him 400. Compare with this passage, verse 39. If any shall strike thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. What are they saying? That the turning of the right cheek, it is a measurement of compensation. Not let yourself get beat to death. They go on to say, and by the way, this was already in the Talmud at that time. So at least the basic understanding of this was right. And what was Yeshua doing in here, quoting this again? To expound, because a lot of them were not even doing that. What Yeshua was preaching in here is against retaliation. Don't retaliate. Defend yourself, but don't retaliate, essentially. Then he goes on. Oops. Uh, give me a second here. 
So if the method that we are learning in here today, while Yeshua is in the Sermon on the Mount, he continues to expound on blessed is he, blessed is he, and then he goes on to talk about, of course, the halakha. How do we walk this faith so that we may fulfill the will of the mighty one? Amen. I'm not done. Don't worry. You wish I was done. But I'm almost done. I'm almost done. So it says that the right for I say to you, unless your righteousness exceeds more that of the, uh, the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. You know what he said there? He's telling the people your righteousness needs to exceed that of the Pharisees and the scribes. Look how pious they were. Now he goes on with the issue in here, folks. And this is we need to really understand Matthew chapter five. I don't have the time to go through all of it today, but really this is so Torah based. This is all halakha at the end of the day. And it goes on to say in here, and truly I say to you that if you, uh, that you will not come out from there until you pay the last coin. You have heard it has been said you shall not commit adultery, which we cover. But I say to you that one who looks at a woman lustfully at once has committed adultery in his heart. And if you're right, I stumbles you pluck it out and cast it from you for it is better for you that one of your members should perish than your whole body thrown into Gehenna this goes back to the same thing folks eye for an eye two for a tooth so if your right hand says or your right eye causes you to stumble or your right hand causes you to stumble he said you have to chop it off so what do we mean by that do we chop our literally our hands off get a chainsaw and cut it off what is the intent of the message in here? First and foremost, we need to understand what is the right hand from a Jewish point of view. Anybody want to get a crack out of it? The authority. The right hand always carries the authority. How many times he said, I'm going to send out my right arm. Yeshua went into heaven and said at the right hand. That's the authority. It's the one that does everything. So it's basically what it's trying to tell you, Matthew, which, by the way, correlates with this parasha, because in Deuteronomy, he tells the people, do not depart neither from the left or to the right. There are all these words that I'm giving you from the Torah. Okay. Joshua and the Idrash today literally echo what, uh, what Moshe said. Do not depart to the left or to the right. So let's go now in connection with this in here. Your right hand causes you to stumble. You are to what? Chop it off. We understand that the right hand is the authority. Who's the authority in your life? Well, it could be a numerous things. It could be your friend. It could be your cousin. It can be food. It could be money. It can even be your spouse. It could be anybody. Anybody that holds authority over you, and not that that's an issue because spouses you're supposed to have authority but it's saying that if the authority that you have placed upon your life causes you to stumble meaning it causes you to walk away from his word you are to cut it off do you understand what the context of cutting off means in scripture let me tell you what it is just just a few verses before it said that you are to give a certificate of divorce divorce and scripture it's equated to cutting off, meaning breaking relationship. 
Oh, Richard, but that's not cool. We break in relationship. Yes, at times you may have to, folks. If we want to truly live the life of a blessed life, essentially, you're going to have to cut off those right hands that are causing you to stumble. You don't do it, folks. You're going to have a hard time in this walk. Because that's why he said, I have come to bring the sword. Why is he bringing the sword? Because the sword divides at the end of the day. What do we see this in, in examples in scripture? Let's start with the first one. Avinu, Abraham. Abraham left his family. How many of you actually know that Abraham left his family because it was issue of idolatry? Okay. So you've been taught that so far. That's good. It was issues of idolatry. He had to leave his house. And that's just the one example there. How about Ruth? Ruth left everything behind. Her family, everything. So there are times, family, where you're going to have to cut off those relationships that are not quite kosher. Because if these people are moving you or they're becoming a stumbling block in your life, then it is time to cut them off. Amen? And this is, in a sense, what the Messiah is talking about in Matthew chapter 5 as he is letting and reiterating to the people how to live halakha, how to live this life. He that asks you to give to him and he desires to borrow from you, you shall not deny him, he says. You have heard that it has been said to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Can I ask you a question? Where does it say that in the word? What does it say in the word that you are to hate your enemy? Doesn't. See, one of the things that he's doing, folks, he's not coming against oral law, but he is he is challenging rather and he is redefining what oral law should look like. Because the aspect of loving your neighbor and hating your enemy is never written in the word. So, what is the point of the, all this? If we're going to follow oral law, if the oral law that you choose to follow comes against the written law, there's a problem. That's what it's teaching. So we're not going to just follow any oral law for halakha. We're going to follow the laws in, in, in halakha that actually come in agreement with the written word of God. This is the issue that he is trying to therefore uh, uh, share with his people. And he ends by saying, he raises, his son, he raises the son upon the good and upon the evil and causes to descend his reign, even on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward you have? Have you? Do not even the Republicans do this. And if you greet in peace only your brothers, what more are you doing? What is the teaching in here? Because you see, what he, this paragraph is sharing the insight of the religious climate of that time. The Pharisees were so pious that they wouldn't even say hello to a Gentile. This is an issue. Because the greatest calling for Abino Abraham was to be a light to the nations. Don't ever think that you're too righteous enough to even say hello to a Gentile or to anybody outside of this faith. Because our job entails bringing people into this faith. Okay? 
So this is what he's kind of addressing in here. Again, the political climate in here and the religious climate in here is addressing the heart of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Does the Torah command us to wear zitzits? Yet, he rebukes them in here for wearing zitzits? No? And what is he rebuking them for? For enlarging the zitzits. Enlarging the zitzits. Yes. So zitzits that were really, really long all the way to the floor so that everybody can see them. How about the Teflins? Now, this is a big one. Most of the people in the Messianic movement think, oh, that's a tradition. We don't have to do that. Yet we see in here that he rebuked them for the Teflins right along with the zitzits. Nowhere did he say that the Teflins were wrong any more than he said that the, te that the zitzits were wrong. But rather on both instances, he put them in the same classification. You are enlarging them so that everyone can see them. Essentially exposing the heart of men of pride and haughtiness. Nothing wrong against the Teflons, folks. It's what is the motive. And that goes for everything in the Torah. What is the motive? Why we do what we do? Why do we do what we do? He re rebuked them in there for prayer. Is prayer wrong? No. But rather they were praying in the and out in the, in the common area so that everybody can see them. Again, he's addressing their hearts. Everything that Yeshua addresses here in Matthew chapter 5 has to do with their hearts. What is the connection with that and what we just read this morning in the Vezot HaBracha? Throughout the whole Torah, Rabbeinu Moshe addresses only one thing and one thing only. That they keep the Torah, but not only did they keep the Torah, they keep the Torah with a pure heart. Not just keep the Torah, keep the Torah with a pure heart. Circumcise the foreskin of your heart. How many times did Rabbi Moshe said that throughout the Torah? Quite a bit, right? Circumcise the foreskin of your hearts and be stiff in it no more. So, the conclusion in the matter of all things, and where Moses said, Vesoha Bracha, is concluded in here, Matthew chapter 5, 48. You therefore be perfect, he said, as your Father in heaven is perfect. You know how many times I've heard people say I can never be perfect? You are literally cursing yourself. If the Messiah said to you, be perfect, is he a liar? <laughs> because when we say that we cannot be perfect, we are essentially telling Yeshua, you are a liar. Because he said, be perfect. That means that he gave you a task that you can accomplish. Why are you cutting yourself short? You want to know why? Because men is more critical on themselves than God is. We have no mercy towards one another. And our standards, it's way above than God's standards, believe it or not. As a matter of fact, there's a passage in the Talmud that says that God, we have actually put ourselves a higher burden than the burden of heaven. That's a problem right there. You see, that's the issue right there. God has set a burden for us that is achievable. All he wants us is to be pure with him, folks. Look out for the best interests of each other. And in doing that, you fulfill the mitzvah of loving your neighbor as yourself. There's so many small things that we forget. How do we fulfill that? It's very, very easy. We just have to be considered to one another. If I'm laying, and I'm going to give you an example because we've been camping out this whole week. 
It's a few things that I've seen. It goes back to loving your neighbor as yourself. What do I mean by that? Well, we all dwelling in tents, right? Right? Okay. We all can hear everything. Right? Right? Yeah, you can say right. So, it stands true. At midnight, do I want to crank a generator if I'm three feet away from you in a tent? But this goes back to loving your neighbor as yourself, folks. See, we don't think about that. But this is what little intricate things that the Father is revealing to share with us. How do we dwell together? We have to be considered to one another and what we do and what we say as a community. These are things that we have to be thinking. I have to constantly be thinking how the words of my mouth is going to affect you and the actions and the things that I do. How is it going to affect each and one of you? And each and one of you has to do the same towards one another. Thus, in doing that, we fulfill the law of Moshe with a pure heart. Understand this. Is it a hard thing to do? Not really. If we stop being selfish. Because it all stems from selfishness. And I'm not saying that we do it maliciously, but a lot of times we just don't think. Wow, oh, I didn't even know. Wow. Yeah, I got a neighbor next door. I forgot that was a tent. Not that, that any of that happened this week, but I'm just saying it could happen. And these are the things that we need to look at as we go through the pages of the Rabbinu Moshe and the Torah and how we do this. So thus all of it, he is saying that he wants you to be perfect. What is perfection? What is perfection, folks? Anybody want to get a crack out of it? What is perfection? Psalms 101, 2 through 6 tells you what perfection is. Genesis 17, 1 also. You know that he told Abraham to be perfect also? Same thing that he asked Abraham, he is asking you to do. Be both perfect. So perfect, according to human standards, is impossible. Because men's laws are always, always going to be higher. But in God's law, he just wants you to have a pure heart. Be considered towards one another. Submit to one another. Right? Be accountable to one another. Thus, in doing all this, he says, we will be a great assembly to him. And we will, we will perfect loving your neighbor as yourself. So loving your neighbor as yourself is not full of feelings. Because emotions come and go. Understand that, please, if anything. Emotions come and go. So today I'm feeling very, very rosy. So I'm going to treat you very nice. Tomorrow, not so good. But when we love in perfection, it doesn't matter what day we're having. I'm still going to treat you with the utmost respect that you deserve at the end of the day. And maybe you don't even deserve it for that matter. Because the law of God doesn't change. If he has called you, by the way, folks, by the way, each and one of you has been called a child of the Lord. Right? Right? Okay. I want you to think about this. If you take anything out of this teaching, take this. As you walk, as you wools out of here later on, okay, and you go back to your camps, and maybe after tomorrow, because tomorrow is the last day of the actual dwelling in the sukkahs, in the tents, and you go back to your life, back to the, you know, permanent living, remember that each and one of you has been called something special by the Lord. He has given you a title, right? 
That means that the way I approach you, 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 it has to be different now. You don't want to know why? Because you his property now. You are his property. He has called you as his. That means, and he has called you holy. That means that I need to be careful in how I treat you now. Because if I, if I do an offense against you, I'm doing an offense against the property of the Lord. And that's the way we need to start seeing it. That'll change your perspective. You understand me? If, it's, if, if we are his children, then I need to be careful how I handle the holy things. I need to be careful how I speak to you because it's as I'm doing it to him as well. So the, the concluding for all these things is let us be perfect, folks. Rabbi Moshe ended this parasha with teaching us the blessing of the Lord. Yeshua stood on the mountain on that day in the Beatitudes and gave the blessing and expounded on what this blessing looks like. It is hard. It is not easy. Torah is never easy. Fulfilling Torah is never easy because you know how hard it is to be nice to a knucklehead who is constantly coming against you. Okay? To treat him not partial, that is. It's not easy, folks. But he says that if you do this, there's blessings. And to me, it is more important to want the blessings, to live the blessed life, and to be set an example for our next generation so that we may know and understand the walk of the Lord. Amen? Thank you for being a part of our teaching. Be sure to visit our website at www.thefoundationoftheword.org for additional resources and to help us financially. It is our hope and desire that what we teach will help you in your walk with Hashem Elohim, that we bring more souls into His kingdom. And we pray this in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. Amen.